0: I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to end our uh, study of the Lord's Prayer this morning, or this afternoon, I guess it is. And I'd like to begin by reading the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. From yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. There are two Hebrew words that are almost always transliterated rather than translated. Do you know what those two words are? In other words no matter what language you go to they're spelled the same way and pronounced the same way Um, maybe not pronounced exactly the same way but they're transliterated from the Hebrew and those two words are hallelujah and amen and our um, our uh, subject this evening is the um Last word in the Lord's prayer, it is the word "Amen," and so we have that word that comes to us in English from the Greek word, uh, probably pronounced um, something like "Amen," and it comes directly from the Hebrew word, which is uh, spelled the same way and which is pronounced "Amen," and um, and so it comes to us just trans- transliterated as uh, it's, it's not translated into our English words, but it is actually just picked up and used in its original form. Now, the, um, the word amen and the subject of the amen as it's found in scripture is really a huge subject, and we are this afternoon going to just uh, skim very, very briefly uh, through the highest points of what could be said about this subject um, There are a number of things that from ancient times have been connected with the use of this word, amen, and they're still connected with this word uh, for us today. For example, receiving God's word. In Deuteronomy 27, the priests were to stand on the two mountains. One was the mountain of blessing, one was the mountain of cursing, and they were to speak the blessings and the curses down to Israel. And it says in Deuteronomy twenty seven fourteen, the Levites shall declare to all the men of Israel in a loud voice. And so they were to proclaim, to, to say out loud to the people what the Word of God was. Of course, they're going to actually say these series of curses in the next verses to the people of God if they don't obey God. And then starting in verse 15 through 26, 12 times, it states one of God's truths. And then it says, And all the people shall say, Amen. And so the use of this word, Amen, is connected to the receiving of God's Word. Another use of this word, another thing it's connected to, is praising God and singing to God. Let me give you just a few examples. Uh, Psalm forty-one, thirteen: Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting... Amen and amen. Psalm 72:19. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Psalm 89:52. Psalm 89 the first verse opens with the words I will sing of the steadfast Lord love of the Lord forever with my mouth I will make known his faithfulness to all generations. And then this song continues all the way to verse 52, and the psalm ends by saying, Blessed be the Lord forever, amen, and amen uh, ending that song, uh, found in Psalm 89. Another thing that is associated with the word amen is prayer. First Chronicles 16, verses 35 and 36. Save us, O God, of our salvation. And gather and deliver us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen. And so it's connected there with the giving of prayer. And we have those same things associated with the word Amen today. Now what does this word Amen mean? Well, the root of this word is the idea of something being firm. And so it means that something is certain, something is true. It's used in several ways. Let me give you just three examples. The first one is that something is true, certain, sure, fixed, solid. In the gospel, Christ uses it this way when he says, Verily, verily, I say to you, or truly, truly, I say to you. What he is saying is, Amen, amen, I say to you, and what he's saying is is that what I'm getting ready to tell you, uh, this is true, this is certain, this is something that you can count on, this is something that is firm and fixed, and that is the idea behind this word. It's also used in this way. It is used to affirm that this is true, or to say, I agree that this is true. This is how we see it a, a number of times in the Scriptures, just for example, like in the doxologies and the benedictions, like Romans eleven thirty six, 36. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things, to Him be glory forever. And then, amen. Well, what does amen mean there? Amen is, is an affirmation that I agree, this is true. Uh, I, I believe that this is right. And that's what it means to say, Amen in that context. First Timothy 1.17 To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And then when it is added, Amen, it means I affirm this. I believe this. I agree or with this statement. Another way it's used is to mean something like, so be it, or this certainly will be, or make it true. An example is Jeremiah 28, 6. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. May the Lord do so. May the Lord make the words that you have prophesied come true. And so it's taken in that sense of, So be it. Let this be certainly true. Uh, Let this come to be. That kind of expression. Those are the ways that the word amen is used, and in many other uh, similar ways. Now, you may ask, what is the big deal about this word amen? I mean, we're so familiar with it. Uh, you know, we use it all the time. Um, to us, it, it kind of means something like the end. It lets us know that I'm done. And we're praying, and we're finished. And we say amen. We all know that the prayer is over, and we're moving on to the next thing. And I'm afraid that it often can mean almost you know, nothing more than that. ...to us when we use the word amen. I don't think that it would be possible... ...for me to overemphasize... uh, ...the importance of this word. Let me tell you some reasons why. If I were to make a short list... ...a really short list of really important... ...scriptural passages... ...and scriptural principles the word amen would be found right in, in the middle of that list, right in the heart of that list. Let me give you a couple of examples. It is critical to the message of the book of Romans and to our Christian faith. It is cr- critical to those things, the, the doctrine of justification by faith. In Romans chapter 4, our justification is established on the basis of Of our faith and not our works. We read in Romans 4: To the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And what is cited as the proof of that doctrine? The proof of that doctrine, uh, for the proof of that doctrine, Genesis 15:6 is cited. Again, in Galatians three, the doctrine of justification is set forth. In Genesis three, we read the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, by, the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. And what was the basis for his statement there in Galatians chapter three? Again, it is Genesis fifteen six. Now, what does Genesis fifteen six actually say? Genesis 15 6 says this. He amened Yahweh and was reckoned righteousness. He amened Yahweh and he was reckoned righteous. Genesis 15 6. So right there our word amen is at the heart of the matter. What did Abraham actually do? When it says he amened Yahweh, it means that he affirmed that everything that Yahweh said and was was true and real and that he was embracing it with his whole heart. That's what it means when, it's, when he gave his amen to Yahweh. It means that he believed in him and that's how it's translated usually. He believed God and it was reckoned as righteousness to him. Let me give you another example. In Romans 1.17, It says, For in it, the righteousness of God, speaking of the gospel, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Galatians 3.11 Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 38 and 39. My righteous one is, Shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now, in these three important passages, they all quote the same verse, which is Habakkuk 2 4. Now, what does Habakkuk 2 4 actually say? It says that the just will live by amen. The just will live by amen. The just will live by affirming, believing, embracing all that God is and all that God has said. Amen is used for the name of God. In Exodus chapter 34, verses 5 and 6, when God is going to reveal His name uh, uh, there to Moses... It says at the end of verse thirty, uh, excuse me, at the end of verse five, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And then in the next verse, it tells us what God actually proclaimed. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, "The Lord, the Lord of God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness." And that last statement that God is steadfast in his love and his faithfulness is actually the it is actually the words. He is he has steadfast love and amen. God is the God of Amen, and He takes that name to Himself. We see that same thing in Isaiah 65, 16. So that he who blesses himself in the land shall bless himself by the God of truth. And he who takes on who takes an oath in the land shall swear by the God of truth. And that term God of truth is actually the God of amen. Here it's associated with God being the truthful one, the certain one, the one that we can rely on. Because God is the amen, that is the basis for us ever in any context, at any time and place, that is the basis for us to ever say, Amen, when we say amen in our usage of that word. Now, amen is also used as a name for the Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 3, in verse 14, we read this. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, referring to, to our Lord Jesus Christ. He takes to himself there the name of that I am the Amen. I am the Amen of God. And then we have basically a definition of Amen in this verse because he says, I am the Amen, the faithful and true witness. And so he's connecting the idea uh, that, that uh, the testimony that, that he bears is connected with faithfulness and certainty and truth. Those are the things that Christ is about, and He calls Himself the Amen of God. The word Amen is not a trivial or a secondary word. It's an important word at the very center of our our faith, and it's directly connected to the person in the name of God and His Christ. Now, I would like for us to move a little closer to practical things by looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And verse twenty. Second Corinthians chapter one and verse twenty. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. Now, note that there's two assertions in this verse. First of all, the promises of God are yes in Christ. Now, what does it mean when it says that? Christ is yes. It means that every promise of God has its foundation in and flows from the Lord Jesus Christ. There This is in, I would suggest to you that this is in direct contradiction to the notion that we have in our modern society that you can know God and be blessed by God, divorced from Jesus Christ, separated from Jesus Christ and the Christian religion, that you can find God many ways. Our text tells us that whatever promises God has made, they are yes, they are real, they are true, in one place and in only one place, and that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Promises of God are not true somewhere else. They're not true, separated, or distinct from Christ in any way. He is at the heart of every promise of God. It's simply not true that God can be approached in other ways apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ has made every promise, yes, through his person. And our Lord Jesus Christ has made every promise yes through his work. And our Lord Jesus Christ makes right now, at this very moment, the promises of God real and true and saving and good because of his continuing life and ministry that he has right this moment. Every promise is connected to him, and through him they are yes to us, the people of God. Now look at the previous two verses that we're looking at, verse 20. Look at verses 18 and 19 to see what he says just before this. He says in verse 18, As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in Him... It is always yes. Meaning that the promises are always true in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those promises never fail in Him. It's not maybe. It's not sometimes yes and sometimes no. They are only yes. They are always yes in Christ. Now note the second assertion that's made in verse 20. It says that God's people say, Amen. That is why, the end of the verse says, That is why it is through Him that we utter our Amen to God for His glory. The yes of Christ draws out from God's people a response of Amen. If we understand Christ, we will say, amen to what we understand. If we believe in Christ, we will say amen to everything that we believe about the Savior. I would suggest to you that the first time a person believes in Christ is the very first time that they ever say amen, even if they've said it a million times in their life. But Until they are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, until they have until they have embraced the promises of God that are found in Christ, they have never said, never said amen from the heart. When we say amen, we are taking it as our own. We are binding ourselves to it. We are identifying ourselves with the thing that we say amen to and about. We are affirming that when we give our amen that it is right and good and true and that we believe that everything that we have in Christ, everything that we have in God and in His promises is to be found in our Lord Jesus Christ. I would suggest that this is the basis, this principle that Christ is the yes of God and that we say amen, that it is the basis for a life of affirming God, a life of amening God, not just amening God by saying the word amen from time to time, but amening God by, by affirming in every part of our life what it means to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, a life of amening God to His glory. It is believing that Christ is the yes of God and that all of His promises and true and then all of the implications that that has for the way we live in this world. And note the very important words at the end of our verse. We utter our amen to God for His glory. Our amen is directed primarily to God. We don't say amen here in our church services so that we hear it. We're not saying it to each other. I and mean, we may be saying it to each other. There's a sense in which we should, and we're going to talk about that in just a second. But primarily what we're doing when we say amen is we are saying it to God. And our amen is something that brings glory to God. Our verse very plainly that when we utter our amen to God, it is for His glory. It brings glory to God. This saying, amen, can look like a lot of different things in the entirety of our life. But let me ask this question, and this is what I want us to think about it here at the end, of our consideration of the word amen. It can look like a lot of different things in the entirety of our life, but what does it look like in the corporate worship of God when we come together at church? And we come together and we are an uh, assembled group of believers. What does it look like when we come together for worship? Psalm 146, 48 says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say amen. I would suggest to you that we ought to be, in the course of our worship together, saying amen together as we affirm various things about our worship of God. We know that the early church practiced the, uh, the use of the verbal, uh, out loud uh, saying of amen. It was interesting, Jerome, who was writing sometime uh, between three, about 370 up to 400 A.D., somewhere in that time period, he wrote that in his day, visitors to church services were often startled By the loud, forceful amen of the congregation. In other words, they weren't prepared for it. They weren't expecting it. And all of a sudden, the congregation, as one voice, would say, Amen! And that people were startled. They sang a song. They ended with a hearty amen from the people. There was a prayer. It ended with the shout of amen from the people. The scriptures were read. It ended with an amen from the people. And then I'm quoting now. It had a sound of thunder, and it went on. To, he went on to say that unsuspecting visitors were sometimes frightened. And speaking of Galatia, he says, quote, "Nowhere else does the amen resound so loudly, like spiritual thunder, and shake the temples of the idols." And so the picture there was so loud that the people worshiping in the in the uh, temples of the false idols, could hear the Christians booming out from their place of worship the word amen as it would resound, as it would thunder forth uh, from the people of God. So we know that this was an ancient practice. Now I want us to close by looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I think this passage has something to say to us about how we should think about the use of this word amen. First Corinthians chapter 14 and let's look at verses 12 through 16 Since you are eager for manifest, manifestations of the spirit strive to excel in building up the church that is edifying the church Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praises with my spirit, and I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying. Now, I'm not going to talk about tongues and what the early practices of the Christian church were and all that, but for our purposes I want to draw your attention to that last verse where it says, Otherwise if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say Amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? I think there's several implications for us in this verse, first one is this Note that it is not possible to say amen in the biblical sense unless you do it with understanding. In other words, if we say you ought to say amen, we never mean that we just do it out of, uh, out of just copying other people or no meaning or not understanding what we're doing. We're never to say amen in that way you can't say you cannot say amen in the biblical sense unless you understand what uh, you are saying amen to this person cannot say amen because he is an outsider our verse says now the word outsider there is actually an interesting greek word it is the uh, word idiotos which we get our english word idiot from and um Idiot does not mean really what we kind of use it for in our, in our everyday language. Idiot actually means, and we do get our English word from this word, Idiot actually means, its primary meaning is the common man as opposed to the magistrate, king, or ruler. And the difference there, the contrast was that the common man on the street was uneducated, unskilled, uh, unlearned. He didn't have those things. That was not part of who he was as a person. The common man did not have those things. But the, the, the officials, the kings, the magistrates, the high in society, were the educated and learned and skilled ones. In 2 Corinthians eleven six, 6, the same word is translated into, into ESV as unskilled. Now, the point is, this person cannot say amen because he doesn't understand what has been said. He cannot affirm and enter in what he doesn't know, what he doesn't understand. He is unskilled or he is ungifted. And some, some translations translate this word, this word in this verse that we're looking at by the word ungifted. He is unskilled or ungifted, and thus he stands outside looking in in this particular case. Something has been said, but he has no understanding. He's an outsider because he cannot understand what's going on. And so, when we say amen in the biblical sense, it is something that we do with our understanding. We are affirming something that we do understand and that we know and that we believe. There's a second important implication in this verse. I hope it's obvious. The obvious assumption here is that if this, un, this outsider had understood what was being said, what would he have done? Do you see the implication? He didn't do this because he didn't understand. But if he had understood, what would this person, this outsider, this outsider, I don't think it's a great idea. I think it's more this, un, this ungifted person or this uh, person without understanding. What would he have done? He would have said... Amen, if he had understood these things. I think that is the inescapable conclusion of this verse, that it was the common expected practice in the church there at Corinth that when there was praise, when there was the Word of God spoken, when there was singing, when there was prayer, when these different things happened, that God's people would affirm those things by a verbal Amen. I think that's the unescapable conclusion of this verse. And there's a third implication from this, this verse and this chapter, chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, and it's this. The Amen is so important to the public corporate worship of God that the service is to be ordered and controlled and regulated in such a way as to promote the understanding of God's people so that they can participate in the service in this way. In other words, Paul says in this chapter, do this and don't do that so that people will understand and so that they can affirm what is going on with their amen. In this chapter, prophecy was to be promoted and preferred Tongue speaking was to require an interpreter or was not to be done. The number of speakers were to be limited. Things were to be done decently in order, this chapter says. Why were those things to be done in that way? So that the church might be edified and the people would be enabled to truly understand and worship and give their amen to the glory of God. Now what about us in our practice? in our setting here, in our local assembly. Let me say a few things to you about that. I hope that especially, that especially when there is public prayer that you are listening to and that you are praying along with, and we should always be engaging ourselves in, 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 the, in the prayer of the person that's leading us in prayer. I hope that when we're doing that in public prayer, listening and praying along with with the person that is praying, and that at the end of that prayer, I hope that we can add, that we can and we'll add our amen saying, this is my prayer too, and I agree and let it be. That's what we're saying when we say amen. And so, I would love it if every time there's prayer in our public worship service and it ends that all the people of God would say amen and sometimes Justin will, Pastor Justin will try to draw that out because he'll say and all the people of God said amen and he is prompting us to do exactly that and I think that is exactly right and that we should do it we are saying this is my prayer I agree let it be God make it so that's what we're saying when we say amen at the end of a prayer should we sing amen at the end of hymns you know that it's only been in recent times that before very recent times it was a universal practice of the church to sing amen at the end of the singing of hymns and it's only been in recent times that the uh, amen has been removed uh, from from our hymns maybe we can add amen to the end of some of our hymns in the future we'll see But in the meantime, you may have noticed that Pastor Justin or I will usually say at the end of our singing one of our songs, we will usually say, Amen. I don't know if you ever noticed that, if you pick up on that. But we do it and we don't just do it by mistake or or out of habit. We do it because we are saying that what we have just sung is true and right and I believe that and I meant it when I sang it. That's what we're saying when we say, Amen at the end of our song. And it was the practice of the church for the ages to sing amen at the end of songs. At the end of our reading of Scripture, our readers usually say amen, and this is why. It is your... Uh, let me say it this way. If your heart can say at the end of the reading of Scripture, if your heart can say, I believe that, and I am committed to to live by that, if you can say that from your heart, it would be entirely appropriate at the end of the reading of the scripture to say out loud Amen to what has been read entirely appropriate second Corinthians one twenty says that our amen is glorifying to God, and it is glorifying him. I believe the scriptures tell us that I would also suggest to you that it is encouraging and it warms the heart of God's people as well. I just think it is very encouraging when God's people with one voice say amen at various times during the worship of God. Throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, and on into heaven itself, we see, we see praising and singing and praying and speaking the Word of God, and speaking the truth of God. And everywhere we see those things, singing, praising, praying, the Word of God being proclaimed, wherever we see those things, in every context, Old Testament, New Testament, and in heaven itself, we always see one more thing. We see this word, Amen, coming as an affirmation from the people of God. every I would suggest every creature that God has made says a hearty amen to those things. Now certainly we want to be meaningful and careful uh, in the use of the public saying amen. We don't want to be silly about it. Uh, we don't want to trivialize it in any way. We don't want to be parrots that are just saying empty words. But may God help us to do this purposefully and with enthusiasm from the heart to the glory of God and of Christ who is our yes and to which we say, Amen. I want to close by just turning you to one last passage and it's the very last two verses in the Bible, the end of Revelation. Because I could give you many, many, many examples of Amen all through the Scriptures, but let's close with just looking at this one verses 20 and 21. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. There's one of our uses of amen. Let it be. Make it come to pass. The response to, surely I am coming, is God's people say, amen. Do it now. And that's the response there. And then in the last verse, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with all. Amen. And so when we... In our Bibles when we come to the very last word, what word is it? It is this word, amen. These things from first to last are true. Let us embrace them as God's truth.